Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Okay, starting in five, four, three, two. Hello, all. Welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I want to start off with the classic disclaimer that this is not this podcast is not for it. It's not a substitute for a licensed mental health therapist, work or professional. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. So please seek out a mental health professional in your area to work on your unique issues. Now, that being said, I know you for all of you who have been listening, you notice we have a bit of a had had a bit a bit of a gap in the recordings at, that related back to San Diego Comic Con. So I'm pleased to bring you not one, but two of my fellow panelists from San Diego Comic-Con again, especially for this period, which we are recording here for February, which is Black History Month. And I like to think of it as Black Pride and also Black Excellence Month, too. And our two guests today are an example of that Black Excellence, but also that Black Excellence we don't always get to see and hear about, especially in the world of geekdom. So today's guests are David Hooker and Natasha Lee. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Thank you for having us. Well, pleasure to have you. I'm glad you were able to be here. So normally I read the bios, but yeah, this time I'm going to let you guys take care of that. So who wants to go first? Alrighty, sounds good. Um, I'll jump in if you don't want to. Yeah, go ahead. Sounds good. Okay, uh, my name is David Hooker. Uh, Currently, I am a product manager at uh, the Walt Disney Company. Uh, so I work with our studio branded sites, which is a fancy way of saying the websites like Disney.com or StarWars.com, um, ones that you know have uh, characters or, or licensed um, uh, franchises. Uh, I am a little bit about me, we, or us, I, I say me and then I immediately say we, <laughs> uh, we're originally from the East Coast. Uh, we are now in, uh, you know, the LA County area. Um, went to a historically Black college, uh, Bowie State University in Maryland. Um, grew up in that sort of Maryland area um, where I was kind of surrounded by a lot of uh, mm-hmm. uh, Black affluence. Um, Prince George's County is one of the most uh, affluent black neighborhoods uh, in the country, and black so communities. black communities in the country, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, that that that's interesting. We may get into that a little bit as well, too, right? How that kind of shapes uh, your identity and things. But um, yeah, so came from there, uh, studied theater, um, taught for a number of years, and then uh, decided to shift gears. And we packed it up, drove over you know, uh, out here, started building a network, and then uh, we're able to find our respective jobs and in industries that we love because we are super into things like, you know, uh, sci-fi, anime, comics, um, and video games, which is a Mm -hmm. way into Natasha. Yeah, so (laughs) thank you for that. Um, I am Natasha Lee, and I am a senior development support analyst at um, Insomniac Games. So I work in the video game uh, industry. And and so as we were starting this podcast, (laughs) I want to say that our puppy has seen that we set this up and it has gone rogue. So... um, She's trying to do everything and anything to get our attention. And so, you know, I've I've been a fan of video games my entire life. Um, and I, I, I always kind of feel like I came out of the womb playing, you know, I had a controller. I feel like I've always been with games. And um, growing up, it was not something though that I knew that I could do as a career. And it wasn't until I, you know, I went into, you know, the workforce that I, I was kind of looking for what I truly wanted to do with my life. And, um, series of things, you know, like that we'll go into with meeting uh, David, Mm -hmm. who became very supportive of my, my choice to want to do art. Um, I'm an artist and um, also just my love for video games, he became very supportive of. And so I was able to follow into that path. And so I've worked on I, I joined the industry working at Respawn Entertainment, working on Titanfall 2, and then I uh, transitioned to Insomniac Games, working on Spider-Man. Um, I've worked on Miles Morales, 
and done some work for that game and uh, the Ratchet and Clank series. And then now we're on to Spider-Man 2 and Wolverine. So very exciting projects coming up. And um, I just feel like video games have shaped me and it has been something that I've, I've feel like I want to help do for other people. I want to, to give that same kind of experience back to others. And um, so I, I met David at NHBCU, Bowie State University, and that experience as well helped shape the person that I am today um, and helped me foster a community that was very accepting of my geekdom, of being into anime and video games and rock music, um, you know, things that didn't really, you know, a lot of my Black cohort when I was moving around because I'm a military brat, um, they didn't really, they found it odd. I was the weird kid. I was the the white girl, you know, because I, mm. I'm also uh, of lighter skin. So that became part of my identity that I tried to either fight or hide um, going into the industry, but I found it more accepting than I thought. Gotcha. <laughs> and you also got into sort of how you got here, some questions in the same yes. <laughs> order, which works perfectly. And I also have to compliment you because, again, we're recording this just after Halloween, and I did see the pictures you posted of your Halloween <laughs> costumes, which were from uh, an anime series. Which one? Demon Slayer. Uh, so he dressed up as Nezuko. David dressed up as Nezuko, um, a character from uh, Demon Slayer. And then I dressed up as Zero Two, which is a character from an, an anime called My Darling in the Franks. And mm-hmm. and then we also dressed up our puppy as uh, Chibi Moon from Sailor Moon. <laughs> so I think that it opens up to a very interesting place. And I'm kind of curious, what are your thoughts on the relationship that exists between people of color, especially African-Americans and anime. Now, I know I've been listening to a number of other t- people who talk about it, but I'm kind of curious, what's your guys' take on that? Um, if you don't you, mind you me go first, going first. You go first. You, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that, um, like, also I attribute the same thing to video games. I think that um, anime is such a deep, genre like there's so many there's slice of life there's horror there's action adventure um there's now a lot of animes that kind of um go into uh jumping into another reality another world and i think that that kind of attaches to black um nerds or a lot of black people who don't even say that they like these things i feel like as i've gone i've gotten older i've met so many more um black friends and family members that were always into anime or had been, but they never felt like they could express it. And I think that it's just like, you're able, this world is kind of detached from the world that we live in as Black Americans. And I think that it creates kind of this escapism and you get a lot of stories in anime that are about, you know, heroes that start in downtrodden situations that overcome them and become better. And I think that that very much attaches to like the black identity of having, you know, come from enslaved people who have now created, you know, a lot of things that affect multiple industries um, around the world. And you get kind of that, I think that there's a bit of that attachment when we do watch anime. It's, it's like we can kind of, a lot of these characters come in a number of different styles, even though they can almost always be a little bit white facing in some, mm-hmm. uh, in some styles or some, some stories. But I think that because of that, there's, we're still able to attach ourselves to those characters because some of the situations of them being disenfranchised or being disadvantaged or not being as strong as they could be or having a system that prevents them from doing things, I think is very, it speaks to Black people on a, like a subconscious level. Um, I'm not going to say you stole my answer. Wow. I mean, we think <laughs> so so similarly. That- but uh, that, is a, that is a really big part of what I think uh, uh, really attaches a lot of you know black people who are into anime like it really um hits home and and again almost in that unconscious kind of level right i kind of consider it kind of like the the notice me senpai um Mm -hmm. or acknowledge me um uh uh, kind of uh ideology right like we've seen a number of anime particularly i I would say one that is extremely popular and and kind of uh, introduced a lot of um, American audiences, typically, and I would say even American male audiences, being uh, Dragon Ball Z, mm-hmm. um, and you look at uh, or Dragon Ball, right? And you look at a character like Goku, and you see it. You see this guy who is an alien, all intents and purposes, not from here. He's an outcast. He's an outsider, um, and he has to kind of learn how humans socialize and, and and do things, right? But 
it doesn't stop him from fitting in. It doesn't stop him from becoming a, a member of a, a community, right? Then, you know, Master Roshi and, and everyone around him, right? And I think that piece really speaks to us feeling almost that second-class citizenship that that historically uh, uh, pervades a lot of our, our situations as Black people now. And so when you see a character able to transcend out of that, uh, it, it's really encouraging. It's kind of almost like a tale that you you want to see happen for yourself too. Um, I kind of also attribute that to like Naruto as well, right? Another mm-hmm. positive and um, well-known uh, uh, anime where you have this character who again, outcast and through grit and determination and continue, you know, never kind of giving up, he's then able to become, you know, um, a, this prominent member of society, one of the most prominent members of their community. And mm-hmm. it's something that we kind of- Or just uh, how people begin to accept him as a person right. once they get to know him. You know, there's like a lot of, um, you know, stereotypes around blackness and they're mostly negative stereotypes. Like we look at other communities or other groups of people and they're always these, you know, pseudo positive stereotypes in some instances, but a lot of the stereotypes associated with blackness can be negative. And so you start off with a character like Naruto, who, who is dangerous. Like dangerous. Yeah. They, yeah. they think he's unpredictable. They don't know what he could do to their community. They also associate him with loss in their community. And so um, seeing him overcome those labels, I think too, really uh, reflects a lot in, in the black identity. Right. And, and to your point further, right. Like if we were to strip away some of the more um, uh, deep pieces, right. Um, there's just a visceralness to a lot of anime that you see, right. Mm-hmm. And the, the visual aesthetic that you love, there's a, it's so a, contrast to what we have in American cartoons. And the, um, mm-hmm. I would say it, the episodic nature mm-hmm. uh, compared to American cartoons where you get like very your, sporadic your G.I. Joe, could, you could watch any episode of G.I. Joe in any order, except for like two specials that <laughs> happened in the right. course of the series. Right. Um, whereas these shows, it, it kind of hooks you in because you're watching, you're, you're growing a, pro- a cr- progression with a character and that, that increases buy-in and you want to see what happens next and, and for, you know, so on and so forth. I, I'd almost attribute some of the longer ones to kind of like a, a soap opera, right? Where the story just mm-hmm. keeps going, but you, there are parts, there's sp- spots where you can hop in, but it's so entertaining, right? To see this next piece or that, that you want to keep going. And I think that that could be like almost universal that, that infectious nature of it too. But um, us as black folk, we really like a good story, I think. And I think mm-hmm. We like a champion we can rally behind because I think, too, that's why, you know, black people um, became so invested in Bruce Lee. And he was so welcoming of them into the community of, you know, martial arts with so many, you know, traditionally, you know, martial arts is for, you know, Chinese, Japanese, Koreans, you know, that that's their, you know, it's it's housed in their communities. And for Bruce Lee to break that and and kind of bring it to others and then especially, you know, black people still being pushed out of swimming pools or or whatever for them to be able to go and, and practice under him. Mm-hmm. Very nice and very well put. <laughs> I'm sure there's a number of people who are going to be having a chance to really stop and think about that. But one of the other things you guys mentioned, well, too, was the aspect of how many other family members now this you discover are also fellow geeks. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's why. So my brother, um, uh, my late brother, he passed, but uh, my brother was also a buoy student it's it's very odd seeing the parallels after you kind of step back and think about him my brother uh 14 years my senior um and he went to the military before was in the navy before he went to um to buoy but before he had gone to the school i knew that he was into comics i knew he was into art i knew he was into um uh, uh video games right and so those were some core pieces that i kind of almost you know kind of looking up to your older brother I was like I he there must be some reason why he's interested in these things and then that was kind of the seed that sparked me to also grow my interest right so I, at a very early age I started to draw watching him do drawings but you also think that it wasn't stuff. like the most receptive amongst the family oh no not at all uh that that was another interesting piece right these interests that he kind of collected over time and, and were 
different than the other interests of, of I say the traditional uh, member of the family who like, you know, they're, they're R&B music and they're, you know, sports games, football and, mm-hmm. and, you know, a lot of things that just <clears throat> spoke to the, almost the narrative that we are told we are, we're supposed to like. Right. Mm-hmm. So he kind of was one of those first figures in my life anyway, that was like very mold breaking as it relates to those interests where it was just like, these are quirky and weird. And I think his impression uh, upon me, uh, my, my sister who is older, but still younger than him, <laughs> both of us were also sort of impacted by that. Like, I think he called her Yoda when she was born. <laughs> uh, uh, but like those interests, you kind of find these people in their little, um, in their little uh, microchasms, right? They're, it's almost- I mean, it's basically how we experienced our, our college right. life. Yeah. Um, and because growing up, I moved around a lot. And then most of the community of people, you know, when I was in school, I didn't really see a lot of people that were, I didn't see a lot of black women that were or black girls that were into video games or um, besides my, my sister, like I have a, a God sister that she was my, my twin, like we both loved comics, anime, um, and video games. And we were both kind of not, I think she experienced some more of being outcasted a little bit amongst her peers, but it was just kind of like seen as, oh, you're Natasha, you do that weird thing. You like games and you read these, you know, newspaper print drawing books or, you know, manga (laughs) and, and, you know, and, and, it was just kind of like, oh, well, I guess, you know, it was just me and maybe like three of my other friends in the entirety of the school that kind of bond over these these subjects or these games. And but as I got to college, we formed a, a, a more a larger cohort of friends that were just all into it. And it was like, wow, um, you know, I, I constantly heard that. Oh, you know, why are you reading that? Or why, are you, you know, like, oh, you play games. Why? You're a girl. And I didn't get that reception from my my group of Friends, friends that basically and, didn't turn into family once I got to college. And that group, I think, you know, we even when we look back to that group, it took a larger community like a college setting where you're getting mm-hmm. various uh, a variety of like backgrounds. Right. But also mm-hmm. you're getting a piece that I would say is important is that kind of um, academia. Right. Like that kind of book smart kind of nerdy piece kind of rolls uh, fits uh, adjacently to to geek culture in, cer- in certain aspects, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, we really started to see, oh, this person who's from this state, who also, uh, our buddy Sam from New York, who wore these really amazing shoes that he paints himself, mm-hmm. or but he was also- He, he had paint a- like video game characters or anime characters on clothing. And it, it, it was just kind of awe-inspiring. And again, our, our dog is now tipping over things to get our attention. But- um, oh. A, uh, I would say too, like as much as the internet is a web of horrors, <laughs> it is also a, a beautiful, you know, place to just gather and meet and 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 learn about other people from all over yeah. the world. And I think, you know, as problematic as Facebook can be. I was able to find black geek groups and black girl gamer groups within Facebook and just find these communities of hundreds of thousands of people that are black and like anime and like video games and like, you know, Japanese culture or, or you know, other cultures outside of American or, or rap mm-hmm. music or, you know, um, designer shoes and things like that. So it's like these people but it was just like, they've always been there. Just like whenever I would hear people think that, you know, oh, well, black people don't like this thing or that thing. And it's like, but I do, I've been doing this for the majority of my life. It's all I've ever known. And I think with the, the advent of like a, a social media platform, you've been able to see so much more that so many people like these things, especially amongst the black community, that the black community is so like, I don't know, esoteric. Is that the correct word? It's just, where we are a plethora, eclectic. we are an eclectic group of people, no matter what kind of box we've tried to fit into, or our people have tried to, you know, our systemic racism mm-hmm. has built mm-hmm. around us. We constantly see people, Black people break out of that mold, regardless I mean, yeah, of them you, constantly saying we have to be this one way. You you make me, you give me pause to think about just music in general, right? Like, and, and our adaptation to music, the way that we introduce, you know, rapping, the way that we introduce, you know, these, these nuances and, and, and 
um, sampling from other uh, from older tracks and things mm-hmm. like that. Sampling from like Beethoven's and you know uh, all of that creativity too. I think uh, permeates a lot of what we do because they're kind of forced to seek out solutions or create solutions when we don't have them right. Um, and I think maybe that's another piece to the anime or just mm-hmm. you know that kind of culture right where it's like you see these characters who have to create solutions. The bad guy is just way too powerful. We got to figure out how to do this or that. And and so it's it's something that we kind of attach to. And I think the more we think about it, the, the easier it is to see the parallels of the communities and just those kind of cultural. Uh, and even going into video games, like mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. The, I think that that's even a step further um, because you, you get to own that character. You get to play right. in that experience. And I think mm-hmm. that, again, more black people play video games than you know and it, it's statistically proven that more black people play video games over um, yeah I, I don't have the the current like url it's, off the top of my head mm-hmm. but it's already been shown like how much black people have been involved with video games but we've just been shown so little to be a part right. of the community and then just right. how much we consume entertainment in general we kind of over index mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. And that part is interesting, too, because when you talk about games, we get into this idea of being this avatar. And for us, that tends to be that temporary escapism for for these for this moment, for these six hours, six, 12 hours that this, you know, one this the single player story is happening. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm Kratos. I'm not. David, who gets dirty looks when he, you know, when he's walking down a particular street or has women right. first when he's in an elevator with them, you know, I. I get to just play out this this reality, and it is uh, kind of that escapism that I think um, we really, really identify with because there is so much uh, that you kind of deal with. Um, one of the things me and uh, Natasha kind of ch- chatter about was like even roller coasters and uh, why <laughs> or thrill seeking in general. Seeking just thrill seeking. Right. Sometimes we can be aver- adverse to thrill seeking, and it's because you know it's 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 almost when you're in survival mode all the time you don't want to take a lot of chances <laughs> yeah yeah so, yeah it's like life is already right, right. i made it past 23 i'm still here uh i don't think i want to skydive guys i, I think I, I think i've i've, I've tapped on my luck right <laughs> right right well and the way the adrenaline and i know there's going to be ways to be said even as working as a therapist um because as lately i've gotten much more involved in playing things like Call of Cthulhu, which is much more horror games and so forth. And it's like, yeah, I'm not really that interested in Freddy or Michael <laughs> and so forth. But, oh, the psychological th- horror thriller over here, that one actually is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And I, some of that standpoint of also what I see as a therapist looking at so many people's lives, it's like, yeah, my system's not up for that. I just want to go over here, have a nice warm bath. Yes. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but to that also, and I'm kind of curious too, how does this translate into the career fields you guys both have? Because again, there's that place where we don't see a lot of ourselves in it. We don't see a lot of our families driving also saying that this is a viable career versus, you know, get in the NFL, get the record deal. Get It is... It, I think it's, it's challenging once you're in the space to, uh, you know, getting to the space is already challenging because you don't have the um, the nepotism, uh, to be quite honest, right? You don't have the exposure, right? So it's a and, lot of you figuring out how you even get into these spaces. And again, without that visual representation of us in this in these spaces, it's hard it, it starts. It's, it's hard for you to see yourself in them a lot of times. Yeah. I mean, unless you're surrounded by you know positive influences from family or your circle that encourage you to just do what you want to do. Right. And I think too, um, there's it, when I when I try to be more vocal or more visible now that I am in the industry, I think it's because you don't know what you don't know. And that just keeps, you know, you will follow the same trend normally if you don't have anything to break you off that path. And my, myself, I never thought that I, I never, it never occurred to me, like, just go work in video games, just go study game design or something because one game design wasn't really a, a class at the time. And well, it was, it was exposure to your point, right? Like you, we never, were exposed to anyone making games right up until the point that we started testing you know 
and that was us volunteering to test for like betas. Right. And like and that, and that mm-hmm. was it is just kind of like following the oh, wow, you know, games release alpha or beta programs where they can let players come in early, see how the game is developing and then submit feedback. Um, but even still, it was like, oh, yeah, that's a cool thing. That's what we get to do as gamers. It was never like, now let me see if I can make this my career field. Yep. Maybe I want to do like user experience and see how people do enjoy games at various mm-hmm. states. Um, and then when we kind of when we talk about like in our roles now, um, I think it, I'm in a very unique position, I would say, or, or I was in a unique position coming off of the uh, coming in before the the kind of tread the issues with them. Um, it, it gives me a chance to kind of think about like um, about you being in your current in my in my current space. Um, getting there before the situations that happened with like George Floyd and the like civil unrest that happened amongst 2020 along mm-hmm. with the pandemic. Right. And a lot of companies shifting focus. Um, I actually got to get in before then and kind of see bear witness to the efforts of changing those dynamics and, and helping bolster, you know, diversity in various spaces and various career mm-hmm. paths and career development. Like I saw that work trying to be formulated right and then you saw this kind of didn't have the push right and then you saw this huge catalyst right and then from there it jump-started a lot of that work because Mm -hmm. i i mean i can tell you i definitely would not have expected the the amount of change in the amount of time that we've kind of seen um without something uh moving us forward and it's, it's unfortunate that that had to be the case right but um and to our benefit now, we're able to go and be speakers at panels, right? Like being able mm-hmm. to go to like a, um, a, a Comic-Con or, or even like an Afrotech and things like that, where we've been able to, you know, share our experience and really help grow our community, but also mm-hmm. know that our respective kind of companies are also kind of encouraging some of that work and, and even um, leading some of it in, in various spaces. And I, again, I think it attributes back to just looking inward. Um, mm-hmm. Once, once the you know George with George Floyd's death, it kind it kind of felt like, are we like that? Could we attribute to something like that? And I think it did help some uh, some businesses try to uh, to rectify that. And I think that even when I, again, as a as not not having that opinion. Um, or understanding of even just going into games, but understanding now how important it is to be visible and to um, continue to just start efforts to get more uh, black and brown people into these spaces. And especially, you know, in my case, like more black, more black people. Um, and it's just like me, I, I really only got into this industry because my god sister um, had been pushed to achieve what she wanted to. My family was very, um, traditional. I mean, my mother was, was kind of like, you know, sure. I support your art, whatever you like to draw. Cool. Um, but my father was very militant and, um, just like, you know, well, you need to follow these things. You need to get this kind of job. You need to marry into this kind of family. And I didn't do any of that. <laughs> and, and, and it, but, but it was like, but that was my path. I was going on that path. I wanted to do whatever, you know, my father recommended mm-hmm. and, but seeing how my god sister and her mother and father just pushed her to be like, you know, well, you know, in, initially and through high school, they encouraged her to be a basketball player because she's very tall. And um, but she was just like, I'm into games. I want to do something with games. And they did the research with her to help find uh ways to learn how to work in games, mm-hmm. game design. Um, you know, she didn't really want to do programming, but wanted to do more uh design and, and environment art and then she was kind of like my, you know, along the lines of nepotism or, you know, me for me seeing somebody already going in through this process. She went to the game developers conference. Um, she was sent there by her school. And so she was like, I know y'all can't afford this, but I know that there, there's a conference associate program that allows you to get a full ticket um, mm-hmm. in, in exchange for doing some hours of work. And I, I don't think I would ever consider that without her guidance, without her being in that space to know that. And so now that I am in that space, that's what I, I tried to, to recommend to others because 
again, even when I was thinking like, okay, maybe I can get into games. Like, how do I do it? Who do I interview? We went to various studios like Bethesda, being in Maryland. Mm-hmm. We went to Bethesda. We, well, went we to, tried to go to Bethesda. Uh, yeah, we didn't get to get seen. We went to Big Fish Games. We had um, a modeler that was there that allowed us to kind of tour the space with him. Mm-hmm. He's a black modeler, a black 3D modeler. And then we had um, Firaxis, which makes like the civilization games. And so it was like, okay, we're seeing this here, but it doesn't really feel like there's a way for me to break into that. And I, I, I constantly recommend that it is about who you know to get into a lot of these spaces. As much as you have skill, as much as you have talent, um, a lot of the times, I mean, people are recommending their friends and family because they know that they will work well with them. They are already experienced into what they can do. So I think that, you know, as much as, you know, we're like, ah, nepotism, I think that is also people are just doing what they know. They just know Mm -hmm. these people are reliable and they can work well with them. And for us, there's a level of demystifying that has taken place with us being in the spaces proper, right? Like, whereas if we were to talk to like friends or family, you know, as an example, right? If I were to tell family, oh yeah, I'm working at Disney. The thought that comes to their head is like, okay, so what character are you? Yeah. Um, what park do you work at? Right. And then even with video mm-hmm. games, like working in games, there's really so much folks don't know, especially uh, from generational gaps as far as like, all right, so do you, or you must be a programmer, right? Mm-hmm. You just, you just program the computer because the games are computer games, right? And mm-hmm. that's the depth of understanding that a lot of folks have between either of our positions. And so us being in the spaces now, we kind of can help break those down um, into more attainable pieces because we I mean we yeah. know that you can be you know depending on your 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 height or what level of skill you may have that you can be a number of different positions in a basketball team but mm-hmm. no one's ever breaking down the video game industry like who is the lighter who Correct. is the set dresser who yeah. is the matte painter for some of the scenes who is an animator who's doing storyboarding or vo or, or who's doing finance who is mm-hmm. a um, a facilities manager at a video game studio because all of these people still make up those credits they still help the creation of this product and i don't think that we go into the nuance of what really makes a video game um and even i would say within anime because we don't we don't mm, see a lot yeah. of uh you know, Black Americans really pursuing, um, you know, voice acting. And it's like, you can go into voice acting, you can go into translation, and you can be, you know, you can work with those different American um, dubbing studios working in relation with the Japanese animation studios. And it's like, you, mm-hmm. there's so many other components that, you know, we've only been showing like the front facing, like, oh, you're either just a game dev who does programming, or you're just an artist. Right. And there's so many other facets that I think just needs to be made aware and then we also need to bring those into our school systems and then just into our homes when we're encouraging our children and encouraging our community to be able to be the best be, know that they can do anything they don't just have to be you know an actor or a comedian or a sports player mm-hmm. and beautifully and that, put. You know, games and animation is very lucrative <laughs> oh yeah yeah and that's one of those things we can encounter too when uh and the therapy side of this when we were dealing with some parents who feel like, oh, I'm, the kid's spending all this time and they talk about they want to be an influencer or they want to be on esports. It's like, do you realize how much of an industry that is? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And again, even when I hear that, you know, people trying to shy their children away from games, they either think that it's violent, you know, all of the studies that have gone on for the last few decades have proved that there aren't these violent or negative consequences, rather the opposite that they're, you know, people get better reading comprehension. They're able to have uh, better motor skills. They with express video games. more empathy. They express for- more empathy because they experience so many different kinds of stories and character um, as well as uh being again being more empathetic sympathetic to people and then as well as broadening who you know because a lot of these games are online so you're Mm -hmm. expanding your friendship group you're expanding out of your state out of your country and when you're when you're playing some of these games we've met people from all over the world and again it's another way to find out like what's going on in their country what's going on in their day-to-day life and i think that you know people think that people who play video games are shut-ins but a lot of us have a community way outside of just our our immediate family or our immediate radius of people that we tend to talk to. And I think that that makes it so much more wholesome in creating, you know, somebody who is more readily, um, you know, available to work in a workplace where they can deal with different personalities because they've dealt with so many varying personalities on a video game. But um, there's also 
there's also so much like exposure. Like when we when mm-hmm. we talk about um, you know, just the role and then the fact that there there are a lot of lucrative roles, there are a lot of better opportunities, right? When you look at a football team or basketball team, you look at how how many folks are actually going to be playing on the team versus how many mm-hmm. kids today you can ask and say, what do you want to do? And that be their profession, right? Uh, comparatively. Or you think about how many years people spend in such yeah. of an industry. But, mm-hmm. but comparatively, looking at a movie, you know, that came out from Disney, right? Look at the credits and how mm-hmm. many took part, how many people are getting credited and getting a paycheck and, you know, able right. to and the same with games and how many companies are outsourcing other companies that if you couldn't work in this one, you could potentially work in the other company or, you know, and just that level of exposure to how these things are pieced together is really, you know, it's invaluable, right? It's things that folks who have been a part of these industries have known for years and years and kind of know subconsciously, right? And like something that we are emblazoned to teach our people, right? Yes. So that- and- us now being in like the LA area, we see how many people are just so um, comfortable with mm. either being on screen, being on camera, working behind the scenes, because it's just normal to them. They always see people filming on the streets. They always know that, you know, some studio or some site needs a PA so they can get in, you know, to the industry that way. And it's like trying to make that feeling the same that, you know, oh, it's just available to me. I know somebody who's a cameraman or I know yeah. somebody that's a grip and I could do that too. And it's like trying to make that the norm within our community that, yo, I can go into games. I'm a writer. Like, look at, mm-hmm. you know, again, we, even when we think about people who are rappers, I mean, you can translate you know, you could set. take that same skill set and bring it into writing, either if you're composing music for the game, composing different types of audio, because we look at people that make their own beats. And it's like you can use that as sound design within video games. Or again, you could be a composer or you could be, you know, writing dialogue or, um, you know, just just helping other actors or other artists, um, you know, convey things better or differently. And I think that we need that, <laughs> you know, because our industry has been so white male driven we need so much more that there had been so much of a barrier for that like um just in economically having a computer 25 (laughs) years 25 30 years proper when we started seeing a lot of folks doing things right um it was very difficult to the access required a level of affluence right you needed the money to have a garage to work on these games and the money to buy a computer at that time because of how expensive it was and now with the ease of access we're, we're trying to show kids and and, and and anyone right that you got a cell phone you can learn how to do this you got your laptop you got a library card access to the library you can you can start learning and building in in in, in this industries or these industries and so um that's just one of the things that we consistently try to push and, and uh, promote as we've seen <laughs> the benefits of it, you know. And you're living proof of it. So I think that's a great place for us to take a break. So we're going to come back for the second half, folks, here on Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist, here with David Hooker and Tasha Lee. We'll be right back. Do you have knots? Not the physical tightness in your neck and back, and not the ones on a rope, but metaphors for the helpful and unhelpful tugs in life that can help us ascend to a new level or stop us from falling too far back down. Join host Perry Clark for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered, a program about mental health and its practice from an indigenous person of color. We'll help you find the knots that help you and avoid the ones that don't. Listen for new episodes every other week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. Visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark 
at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Okay, coming back in five, four, three, two. Welcome back, folks, for the second half of Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist, here with David Hooker and Natasha Lee. So I know this is a question for those of you who are listening to my previous podcast with Marlene Stewart. Um, one of the things that had come up in, at the, this time as we are in, on Twitter was a comment that was made about Black women not wanting to deal, not being interested, not being attracted to Black nerds. And your relationship is an example of a pair of geeks, nerds, and so forth finding a happy relationship with each other and especially nerds of color. So can we speak to a bit of that and that glory during this month of excellence? Uh, I don't, I don't want to put any truth to this, uh, this statement, but I will say that for both of us, I'll be fired up. Like, (laughs) well, I will say that for both of us, our expected uh, counterparts who are much younger, um, Mm -hmm. definitely not uh, weren't, I didn't expect to get married to a black woman, to be honest. I didn't, I didn't think I, I wasn't averse. Right. Mm-hmm. But based on the interests, based on the expectations and then based on so, sort of some of that kind of uh, romanticization that I kind of have for like Asian culture, I definitely kind of mm-hmm. per- perceived myself as being interested or, or, or following along that sort of path of uh, mm-hmm. dating or marrying someone. Um, of Asian ancestry. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, I will, I will yes, initially too, when we, even when we first started dating, I was just like, my family's not going to believe this um, because I, you know, I, I wouldn't, I'm not saying that there's black women that are just, you know, uh, doing this generalization that black women don't find mm-hmm. attractive. Um, again, with the association of me reading a lot of uh, Japanese based, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, animes and, and reading manga and thinking that you know, I'm going to move to Japan. I figured that naturally I would meet somebody who's either Japanese or my best friend is, you know, my best friend in middle school is Korean. And I figured, you know, someday I'm going to go to Korea and then, you mm-hmm. know, I'll probably marry a Korean man. And it just wasn't in my thoughts. And I do think that as I, you know, as I grew up as a kid or, as, you know, going into middle school and high school, the black guys around me you know, they didn't necessarily find me the most, you know, I wasn't unattractive, but I don't think that they wanted to date me because I was just geeky and weird. I wasn't like mm-hmm. the typical, you know, what we see displayed um, of like these heteronormative couples without in our media. Mm-hmm. And um, but whenever I hear this statement and I, I try to to, um, you know, like say like this is not necessarily true I know tons of you know I have black geek friends and black female friends that love black men and Mm -hmm. it's just that when they thought that they could get with a black geek they were met with gatekeeping and I think that there's there's so much gatekeeping within a lot of the industry especially when it comes to black people getting into geekery you know Mm -hmm. I would say that that's even you know a byproduct of like just patriarchy Mm -hmm. in general right? Like these interests are guy interests, guy right? interests. And mm-hmm. so, so trying to express interest in a video game or an anime or, or uh, some type of action movie, whatever, it might have been Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, you know, somebody would be like, are you sure you really like these things? Uh, are you lying? Do you know this? Do you know that? And so mm-hmm. I think that maybe there are, are were fewer black women in that time period, because I think that it's more adults, more adult men that are expressing this nuance because i think that well, i think it's also, gen z or uh, the, the newest generation is not going to have this problem i don't think and, it's going to be as oh, pervasive yeah. and but to your point i think another thing is there's not a lot of black women that are willing to put up with gay, with that, that that's why too. i was that's why i was yeah. kind of going to follow because it's like once you receive that you know one too many times you just off. you're just put off you just mm-hmm. you just don't pursue mm-hmm. and 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 even still, when I look at, you know, all these groups on Facebook, I see so, Facebooks, I see so many um, happy couples. Black geeky couples. And I'm just like, there's a couple right there. They're talking mm-hmm. right here as somebody's mm-hmm. on the post like, oh, Black women don't like Black men. And it's just kind of the same could be said about and, so many groups, and too. And when we look at our person, like our internal friend groups, again, starting mm-hmm. from a lot of our collegiate friends and, and, and even earlier than that, um, like when I think about my core group of friends, even from high school, um, high school and beyond, like 
they were all, you know, interested in, in like mm-hmm. the era of the X-Men 90s ca- cartoon. It was hard to not to ignore how great, you know, we kind of had it in that, that geek comic space, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the Star Wars and the the, the prequels, uh, mm-hmm. kids during that time, like so we all had those kind of geeky interests. And we're all in my mm-hmm. core, all married to black women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then. Uh, moving full, you know, into that college, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of our friend group that are that we share as friends are also, and they're all know, relatively geeky, and pretty mm-hmm. much they've all married, you know, a black partner. Mm-hmm. Which then also always brings up the aspect: is this response really coming from someone who has no reflection and understanding, or even respect for geek culture? And if so, then yeah, you're not going to be attracted to that. But that doesn't mean you need to be poo-pooing it right and i think there's you know there's a certain level of uh there's a great ted talk i forget the name of the the person but she said you know the the issue with stereotypes is is not that they're untrue it's that they're only a slice of truth um Mm -hmm. and they don't tell you the whole story right Mm -hmm. so there is a slice of truth about certain uh geeky black guys that you've run into who have this uh, unclean hairline they don't get their hair shaped up and they, they mm-hmm. look roughy or they you and know, i think they... that that's just kind of like the geek persona i think that there's a black version of the geek persona where they're, they're not appealing <clears throat> have well, like a, a... but that's a piece of yeah well yeah, right I mean, and i didn't want to say not appealing but i'm saying like they're some of the way that they approach people it may not be social cues there's social cues mm-hmm. and i think too that Again, I don't see this so much when it comes from, I don't see a lot of black women touting this uh, response. And that's where it's just kind of like, I don't even see black women being like, oh, you know, black men don't like, or black geeks and and that, you know, black women saying, oh, I don't like black geeks, black geeks. I don't see that. And it's just kind of like, where's the introspection Mm -hmm. from this statement? What were your lived experiences when you encountered, you know, a person that you did want to maybe have a relationship with? You know, I don't think there's enough introspections on the person's actions versus what the reality of the situation is. And also that, you know, not everybody's going to like you. So mm-hmm. just because you found some person that doesn't like you or doesn't like your hobbies doesn't mean that there isn't a person in your in your uh, ethnic community that doesn't like you or that does like you. And it's just it's just bewildering to me to constantly see this because I yeah. feel like it's just such a nonsensical point of view when we have, you know, when you could just try to pursue somebody. I think it may be your circle. And I, I hear a lot mm-hmm. of people talk about, you know, how men and women are these days with the advent of Tinder and, and mm-hmm. Bumble or all of these kind of dating sites. And, and it's more checklist oriented. Yes. Right? Like and I mm-hmm. don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, having some things that you would like in a person, but I don't think that it should always be the end all be all. You never mm-hmm. know. Like, again, I never mm-hmm. thought that I, my myself, I never disliked black men, but it just, because of my interest, I thought that my path would align me yeah. to someone who wasn't black but mm-hmm. as soon as david and i met we just clicked and i feel like you know people they're not willing to 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 be give persistent the opportunity. and give yeah. themselves the yeah. opportunity because mm-hmm. i think that you know maybe it's your community maybe it's your circle of friends um i think but i i, I do think too um a lot of times it's the when you're meeting a person as well right like mm-hmm. um when we met uh, was beyond, I would say, uh, my most socially awkward years had been behind me, so to speak, right? So it could have, you know, you could be introduced to folks who are still figuring that kind of social piece out or or just haven't found a community where they have felt like they could just be themselves too. Because mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's another that's another issue where people come in and they have this preconceived notion that because I'm trying, uh, because this guy's a geek, this is how they kind of behave and perform, or this is, mm-hmm. um, you know, these are these like weird uh, quirks that this person must have to be mm-hmm. in spaces. Um, and like we said, until we run into something like um, our situation in college, our like sweet, our community, right? And people are able to just be themselves and open up and be, you know, that's when you start seeing the heart of a person. And I think mm-hmm. from surface, people aren't able to actually they don't continue again because yeah. we do have this kind of like swipe left, you know, mentality yeah. now. So it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you didn't hit X, way, X, Y, and Z at the start, then you must not have those qualities. And right. we we do joke all the time. We're like, you know, if we had put ourselves 
say on a, what is that? What is that most popular one, a dating site? Uh, it's not Cupid. Which one is it? It's kind of uh, like the, the most like Harmony. Is it eHarmony? E-Harmony. E-Harmony. Yeah. Yes. I was like, if we were to put ourselves into eHarmony, I don't think we would match. And I even, you know, I would think, like that's like a game I wish I could play. You know, I'm like mm-hmm. I want to make eHarmony accounts and see if it would somehow um, yeah just match for, us. Just, just for people who are already. But then also <laughs> I think you know once David said that his kind of socially awkward stage or you know how he had been is different from how he was when I met him. So mm-hmm. we also joke that if we were in high school, we probably would not have liked each other. And it's mm-hmm. just kind of like there is a time and a, I think that it's, there's times there's timing when you do meet people and. It, it's nice that we met each other so young. We were 18 and 19 at the time, I believe. Mm-hmm. And we've been together for 16 years. And it's just like, it keeps getting better. And I, I want, pe- you know, I wish people would, you know, wouldn't get hung up on, well, people say that, you know, Black geeks, you know, you know, Black women don't like Black geeks or Black men don't like Black women geeks, you mm-hmm. know why just take that like rip that band-aid off I, or i feel mm. like it's like a, a a sword that's been stabbed into you from some bad experience and you just won't take it out and mend it yeah mm-hmm. because I, I think that you know there is time to grow and heal from that and find someone that you do yeah. gel with yeah which also leads to the two questions two things well two thoughts are coming from at least from the third one one from the therapy side and one we just need to consider considering the world we live in now is whether or not keeping in mind that biological age and mental age don't always match. Right. Yes. Yeah. We can't have people that are older than their biological age, but we can also, and I think we have a lot of people who are younger than their biological yes. age. Yes. But the other one, which was the aspect dealing with the age we not now we're in is we need to make sure whoever is putting that quote out is not a bot. Yes. And I think that too, yeah. because it, it comes yeah. up so randomly that it just makes me feel like, is this a means to draw, um, you know, dissension, because, Mm -hmm. you know, for weeks and weeks, we're sharing funny memes, we're talking about the latest games coming out. And then somebody's like, Oh, black women don't like black geeks. And it's just like, but why? Why would you why did you have to say that? And it does, it almost Mm -hmm. seems like it's just trolling, and it's creating Mm -hmm. this kind of tension between the groups. And when it could just be a non starter, just laugh it off and ignore it. But Mm -hmm. it, it brings about so many of these, um, you know, these, these, measuring of, of the qualities of each, you know, person. And, and it does, and, you know, I'm not in, in forums with, you know, just mostly Asian, you know, Americans or Asian folks to, to see if there's any type of similar, um, similar antics, but it, it almost seems, and I, I mean, I know that when you, you can be like, oh, I'm a, a mainlander Chinese, but I'm not, you know, uh, American born Chinese, you know, ABC, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. I know that there's those types of nuances, but it just seems so, uh, so much more toxic in the American, you know, in the black American community, mm. but for no reason. Well, I it's think just the like, reason to, let's just like you were saying is like, there's a, a wound that people have, you know, on the side of the person who might say, might have said this initially, right. And then it being shared out, right. There's that wound that is still there and is still present, but there's also that wound for a lot of uh, geeks just in general in the geek community of being, interested or attracted or caring for other people that they and again didn't fall into lines of the typical social expectations they weren't necessarily quote-unquote cool so they weren't those people that Mm -hmm. they have been interested in weren't interested in them right and i think that that a lot of times especially if it's looking at high school to early college people are still trying to fit an image of what they're supposed to be of what they're supposed to like of who they're supposed to like and even in that same breath that they're you know that they don't necessarily fit this mold that they that that is sort of ideal quote-unquote they're interested in a person who fits in that ideal mold yes and it's like you don't realize that you're doing what is being done to you is what you are adhering to societally this is the person that you're supposed to be interested in and we're not you know none of us are absolved of that perspective uh because that's just been what's been kind of fed and flooded into our psyche from a societal standpoint and i think that even even in just regular you know relationships in general i think that there's not there's 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 not a lot of you know talking about how relationships are really about growth you're each going to grow as people as you're in their relationship no one's going to be 
perfect. No one's going to have everything that you like. No one's going to do everything that you want or like. At the same time, every single day, we get sick. We lose our jobs. We get new jobs. We move, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, people have children and those things shape you and change you. And you as a partner are choosing to be there with that person through all those different occurrences. And I think that when people are looking at relationships, they're just like, well, status quo, if, if I'm a black male and I'm into, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh cards, I want a black woman who's also into Yu-Gi-Oh cards and, and, you know, she plays Call of Duty, but also maybe she was just into anime, but she's never played video games. You don't know that she won't ever learn to want to play video games because people have cut them off at the checkbox, at the list. And it's just mm -hmm. like, we've never, we're not showing that relationships are just about growth. You're growing with this other person and it's helping shape you and shape them. I, I, and I think that people are always like, well, I'm in this position, I'm at this state. I like these things as if you will always like things. And I, I think too, when I, I think back to being a child and, and now as my adult times, I used to always play video games on the hardest difficulty. I almost thought that it was beneath me to play a game on like <laughs> medium or normal. I was just kind of like, I'm a gamer. Like I play things on the hardest difficulty. I have to beat it this way. That shows that I know what I'm doing. And then, you know, now as an adult, I don't have time to play a game on hard. I don't have time to lose five times as opposed to once or not at all. And even as a, as a, as a child, when I, you know, my, I used to ask my father, you know, like, oh, let's watch Lord of the Rings. And he'll be like, we watched it yesterday. And I'm like, but I want to watch it again. And he doesn't, he, he didn't want to watch things multiple times in a row. And I always thought that was ridiculous. I'm like, if I like something, I want to keep doing it. But then now as an adult, no, when I want to, when I find something, I'm like, you know what? I've already seen, you know, this uh, was good. Let this me see was great. What else I need to see something new, you know, because there's so many more things I could have experienced instead of staying pigeonholed in just the things that I like and watching those over and over again and mm -hmm. never, you know, experiencing other things or having as much time. If I watch, you know, if I watch Lord of the Rings once a day instead of twice, I can watch, you know, <laughs> I can watch an episode of Stranger Things or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, people, they're, they're just kind of in one mindset and they, I think that they're in a Fixed. They're in a fixed mindset and not in a growth mindset. And I think that mm -hmm. it has to be applied to all avenues of your life. And especially in the black community, we're already pigeonholed into so many little boxes. And it's like, we can do nothing but grow out of these boxes. So why say that this one statement defines how black people have relationships? So normally I would ask the question about uh, mental health and myths and realities, but I think you guys covered so much of that, even without <laughs> actually bringing it up. <laughs> and, but you also spoke to so many of the truths and so many things that we also sit in. I often sit in therapy with people working with the aspect of moving them out of a fixed mindset into a growth mindset, looking at the aspects of, yeah, life and especially relationships you got to go through all of these things. It's not all the sanitized Disney fairy tale, so yes. to speak. No, no yes, yeah. Disney, but still. And just, you know. And we deal with that. Like, we've seen other people, too, that, like, you know, they, they think that Disney or romantic movies or whatever are ruining relationships. And it's like, but technically, Disney has been around for 100 years. So it, did it just yeah. start ruining relationships or, you know. Well, I would, I would I would pause that aspect of the stories that they have rewritten in these sanitized forms mm. are the things that are damaging. Yeah. Can be very damaging in that standpoint. When you look at the original source material, those yes. were more or less, they were life lessons. Life lessons, yes. more fable-esque. Yes. And like, I, I I think it's it's really... Right. And I do agree. I think we have less fable-esque stories being told and we do have more of these, well, things are going to work out in the end. Mm -hmm. And I think that still keeping that mindset, though, I think mm -hmm. still can help push you to like, well, I don't need to get stuck here. This relationship didn't end up like a Disney-esque one. So maybe there will be something if, you know, I continue to, you know, either work on myself or look at an example, like why didn't my relationship turn out to be this kind of Disney-esque? Mm -hmm. um, and then what are what are things that do help shape relationships? And I think too, we just we just stop at the Disney movies and maybe don't pursue other avenues of research well, onto relationships. And I think that is the, that's something that really does bother me. And again, coming from the, coming from the mouse too, right? Like it's mm -hmm. a lot of, there's a lot of the Kool-Aid of the, of the storytelling. Mm -hmm. But 
I can say that, you know, and like even for us, like our situations have never happened in the in any semblance of the, the movies or stories that we've kind of seen as much as, you know, life happens and mm-hmm. there's your response. And then when you're in a relationship, there's that additional nuance of there's how your response is going to impact your partner or how your partner is going to respond. So how do you navigate? And so the thing that's really interesting to me is like that, that commitment kind of piece, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, if I've chosen to commit to this person, it's very similar to the commitment that a parent has, has made just, you know, Russian roulette. They don't get their baby. And it's like, Oh, your ears are too big. I don't like this one. I'm good with that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, You know? So it's like in that regard, where it's this kind of, um, unconditional sort of scenario I think people haven't wrapped their heads around having that same kind of unconditional approach to a person that you also share an attraction with right like and to that just a little note is that you know when I look at everything that we have now we do have this divine this this defined term as a echo chamber. And I always think too, that if you have everybody in your life is like men are terrible or black women don't like me. I think that maybe there's something about, you know, have you ever checked the counter to that? Mm -hmm. And um, because we were, even when we're looking at our political climate and how, how people can just get fixed on one version of a story and they don't do their due diligence to do some research to counter it. We always talk about the hypothesis and the theory. Mm -hmm. No one's, doing the research to counter or to disprove their theory in order to prove it right. Because your theory may be right, but did you find the evidence that supports, you know, that, that the contrary, that supports the contrary. Which brings us all the way back to how we started with the aspect of parents do the research to see that there is a chance for your child, your family member (laughs) to have a career in the geek world. Yes. And again, Whether it's video games career, or a lucrative career, yeah. And mm-hmm. again, it, it, I've I've met so many people that have, have fulfilling. Had- I mean, you know, to go to to go to a convention, and and this is my like humble brag that I always mm-hmm. like to go to a convention. Um, after Natasha worked on uh, Miles Morales, and she worked on some of the murals, um, including that mm-hmm. Black Lives the BLM uh, mural that uh, went kind of viral and to go to a convention, see folks cosplaying as miles Mm -hmm. uh, have, and then kind of explain to them, Oh yeah, I actually work at this uh, studio and to see them like gush over that, you know, gush over Natasha at that point. Right. is like, I know, I don't know exactly what it means to her, but like, even for Mm -hmm. me, just on the outside looking at like, Oh my gosh, this is like a moment that people don't know that they could even achieve, right? They could be that mm-hmm. person behind the, you know, you could be that Jack Kirby, you could be that Stan Lee that someone is in awe and, and enamored by because of the things you create and make and not mm-hmm. just- Dwayne Duffley. Yeah. Yeah. It's- Yes, exactly. Right. And and I think too, we, we just, you know, there's still that noise of video games or these comic books or movies are too violent or too or corrupting. Or their kids' things, you know, or, the, or their kids' things, do, you know. Or, you know, and mm. I think it's just kind of finding evidence to disprove that and prove why they can be good. And again, I, I think, and I'm, I'm always like, you know, people talk about how violent video games can make them, and I'm just like, but I'm a person who plays video games and has been mm-hmm. playing video games through the numerous iterations and seeing how they've evolved. And it's just kind of like, but I don't have these violent tendencies. So where does this evidence lie? Where do these mm-hmm. habits form? And, you know, are we thinking about like the home life, the settings, mm-hmm. the circles? Like there's so many other things that shape a person outside of just the media they consume. Exactly. So where should people contact you if they want to start getting those behind the scene tours to start seeing what's possible <laughs> at Disney or Insomniac or the like? Um, so my my handle is uh, L-U-V-U-S-A-G-I. And that is Love Usagi, which is love rabbit in Japanese. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm on, that is my handle for pretty much every platform, uh, PSN, Xbox, mm-hmm you know, Twitter, Instagram. Um, and so you can follow me. And also uh, I'm Natasha Lee Hooker on LinkedIn if you'd like to, you know, get connected there. 
Okay. Um, yeah, I'll start with the LinkedIn and work my way back then. Um, David Hooker, uh, uh, David P. Hooker, but you should easily find me on LinkedIn if you type in David Hooker Disney um, in your search bar. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then uh, anything, any on any social media, all my handles are uh, Hooktastic. So that's H-0-0-K-T-A-S-T-I-C. Uh, um, and not so much on the Twitter, just going to be honest, and probably yeah. not going to a lot on it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see where for those of us who are now listening to us in, we'll see where the Twitter we'll see where it goes. Right. Where we'll Twitter be- is at that that particular time when this airs we'll compared to where it is right now. <laughs> or maybe not. Yeah. All righty. Well, I want to thank you again for taking the time to do this. And uh well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And I look forward to our next time we're on a panel. Exactly. Uh, definitely. So I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist here in California. I want to thank you for listening to Mind uh, Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered, and have fun out there, play games, find those people you have a great connection with, and know that there is much more under the sun than what you thought. So stay tuned and have a good day. Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.